first hope in the season service. And as we come together, we pray that God will be with us and bless us, open our hearts and our minds to his word. And uh, I just wanted to start with a, a few verses from Psalm 145. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another, and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty, and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. As we come together, it was those words, splendor of your majesty, when we obviously be thinking a lot about uh, the royal family, the, the new king, um, nothing quite compares to the glory and the majesty of our God. We're going to start with a, with a song tonight, King of Kings, Majesty, and uh, there are different names mentioned in this hymn, um, and some of them are sort of almost very almost contrast. But uh, knowing the the King of Heaven, and yet we can call him Gentle Saviour, Closest Friend, Strong Deliverer, Beginning and End, all within me falls at your throne. Let's stand when the music starts. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we bow ourselves before you tonight. Lord, we are very conscious of how high, holy and majestic you are as we've thought about so much today. 
And Lord, we realise that we are quite the opposite. And um, so to be in your presence, um, bowing down at your throne is a real privilege. And for that, we thank you. And we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to worship tonight. And as we meet together, Lord, we pray that our hearts will be um, uh, united together and filled with love and thanksgiving to you. We thank you, Lord, for uh, the way that we can meet in uh, such peace and freedom. Lord, a privilege not, not experienced by all of your people in the world at the moment. And so we thank you that we can come together. And we pray, Lord, it won't be something that we've just got really used to and something that we don't treasure. But Lord, we pray that you will um, make us very aware of how fortunate we are to be able to so freely worship you. And Lord, we thank you that we have our Bibles to read. We thank you if we have these times of worship together. And we pray, Lord, that they will make a real difference to our lives. Lord, it's so important that we're all here tonight. We thank you that we have been able to gather And Lord, we pray that we will be in a right spirit, a right frame of mind as we come around your word. Lord, not to take it lightly, not to to just ignore what's being said, but Lord, to truly drink it in. We thank you that your word is life. Lord, you, uh, you, you came to this earth to live a perfect life and to uh, give us life and uh, through your death and that we might have it abundantly. And so, Lord, we pray that as we gather together, that we might really be fixed, with, have our, our sights fixed upon Jesus. We pray, Lord, that distractions will be um, removed from us. We pray, Lord, that we won't be distracted by other things that are going on, other people that are here, the other um, mobile devices in our pocket or anything like that, Lord. We pray that we will come with a whole heart ready to worship you. And, Lord, we, uh, we are so thankful to be uh, able to call upon you, for you to hear our prayers, to uh, to know that you are ready to answer our prayers. And so, Lord, we pray as the, the word is opened and read and explained to us, that we will take it in, that there will be an interest in our hearts, that, Lord, these things might ultimately lead us closer to you, and that they might bring us life. We thank you, Lord, that you are ready to show us more of yourself and Uh, more of our own selves as well and we thank you lord that you don't leave us just discovering just how sinful we are but that lord you you show us jesus and through him uh, we have everything we could ever need lord we thank you for the service this morning the reminder we have of our savior and the way that he was so humble the way that he was so mistreated on our behalf and because of our sin and lord it's um We've been reminded this week in Ella's testimony of how the, the, our sin held Jesus to the cross. And Lord, it, it makes us really think and consider. And uh, we pray that you will help us to, to know more of it and to know more of the depth of that truth. But we thank you that we are not left there. But Lord, you did it in love and you are ready to save. Give us, Lord, a more faithful and trusting heart to believe everything that we hear and read in your word. We thank you, Lord, that your word is a sure foundation and that we can trust it and know that it's infallibility and uh, that, Lord, we, we believe it is inspired by you in every way. And so, Lord, when we handle your word, I pray that we will do so with respect and 
reverence and that, Lord, we might do so expectantly as well because you have, you have promised, Lord, um, to forgive those who come to you and those that confess their sin. Lord, you have, um, you have said that anyone that comes to you will, uh, will not, will be in no wise cast out. And we thank you for that, that, Lord, you are ready to receive sinners and forgive them. And Lord, we are such and you know that. And you know everything that's gone on today, everything that we've done, thought and said. And we pray, Lord, for your forgiveness, that you will cleanse us and purify us tonight as we, um, as we w- worship you in our service. Lord, we pray for Mark as he um, uh, opens up the, uh, the, word, the chapter that we're going to read in a minute. And we pray, Lord, that you will give him the Holy Spirit. And uh, that, Lord, he will be able to speak with authority and power speaking with the authority of your word and that your Holy Spirit will come and bless it to us. Open our, open our eyes and soften our hard hearts and may it do us good. Lord, we pray for everyone here tonight that if, Lord, they don't yet know the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that they will, um, by the end of this service, Lord, we pray that you will stir us up and get us thinking, get us meditating upon your word. Lord, we thank you for all that we've been able to celebrate this weekend we thank you lord for our new king and we pray for him lord we pray for his soul above all that he will be a god-fearing king and that lord he will not take lightly the promises that he's made in your name yesterday and uh, lord we indeed we pray for all those who make decisions on our behalf our prime minister and government and uh, lord we commit them to you and pray uh, that they will make good wise decisions lord you know that as a country we we have sinned greatly And Lord, we are all part of that. And we pray for your mercy and compassion upon uh, our fallen state. And we pray, Lord, that you will bring once again this country back to your word under a fear and respect of it. And that uh, many souls might be saved. Lord, you know the, uh, the emptiness of so much that goes on around us, so many things that are promoted around us. But Lord, they don't lead to Jesus. I pray that we will not get distracted by these things, but we will make good decisions. And uh, that, Lord, you will uh, keep us walking in the narrow way that leads to eternal life. Lord, we thank you for all the things that have happened this weekend at church as well. We thank you for uh, the fellowship we've had at lunchtime. We thank you, Lord, for Sunday school rooted this morning and our services as well. And we pray that all these things might be um, to our, for our good and to your glory. And, Lord, we also want to pray for our dear sister Betty, who's... Um, who, who's in hospital with her after her fall, and we, Lord, we pray for her in her and in, in the condition that she's in at the moment. That Lord, above all, she might be, have your peace and your blessing upon her. And we pray, Lord, that you will um, relieve her from um, the pain that she might be in, and uh, Lord, you'll give wisdom to the doctors and nurses who tend to her. Lord, we pray for that situation and for Steve too. That Lord, that it might it all be um, it might all be for something good, Lord, even though it seems such a difficult situation. We pray, Lord, that your blessing and your hand will be upon that, upon them. So, Lord, come and uh, make one in our presence tonight, we pray, and uh, bless us as we worship you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing again, and we're going to sing um, so a, a hymn that is uh, so kind of contrasts to the normal kings and the authority that we, we are under. Um, and speaking about Jesus as a helpless babe and, uh, and here to serve, as we heard a bit about that this morning. So from heaven you came, helpless babe, entered our world, your glory veiled, 
not to be served but to serve and give your life that we might live. Let's stand and sing. title of tonight's sermon is We Want a King, and that is based on a passage you'll find in 1 Samuel chapter 8. We're going to read the whole chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 8. 
When Samuel became old, he made his son judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second, Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice, only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. He said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plough his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to work. He will take the tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, but there shall be a king over us. That we also may be like all the nations. And that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And when Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey their voice and make them a king. Samuel then said to the men of Israel, Go every man to his city. So quite a solemn passage there, and um, Mark will be explaining more of that to us after we've sung our next hymn. And there's a bit of a link again to this morning's service. Um, and... Uh, about Jesus' return and, and what a great response it will be when he, when he does. I just want to read the, the fourth verse. It says, Turn your eyes to the heavens, our king will return for his own. Every knee will bow, every tongue will shout, all glory to Jesus alone. Let's stand and sing.
Once again, good evening, good to see you all, welcome, welcome to those online as well. God save our gracious King, still sounds a bit strange to me, I don't know what it does to you. For the majority of us, uh, all we've ever sung up until recently is God save our gracious Queen, but times have changed. For the first time, for the majority of us, we have a King. Tonight, we're going to be zooming back in history. Uh, to the time when God's people received their first king. So this, uh, to help you get your bearings a little bit, this is a few years before King David, if that helps you place it in history a little bit. The nations around had kings, uh, but God's people had never had a king or a queen before. And tonight we're in 1 Samuel. And it might just be helpful, just at the beginning, to say that 1 Samuel is a very different context to the context that we're in today. And that's really where most of my, pretty much all my focus is going on tonight, 1 Samuel 8. Uh, So my comments will be focused on back then and uh, not in any way a sort of commentary on the monarchy today. Um, So Samuel has been a judge over Israel for some time. Uh, so this is, yeah, just before they, they had their first king. So they had judges. Uh, the book of Judges is full of stories of judges, men and women that God raised up to rescue his people from oppression when they cried out to him. And in 1 Samuel 7, we almost, well, we get another judge, Samuel himself. He's raised up to deliver Israel uh, from the Philistines and to bring them peace. So he does that, and then what he does is he does this kind of circuit around Israel, where he goes around sort of judging for them, leading them, and um, yeah, he goes to the different the towns and, and districts. And then there's a bit of a jump in time when we suddenly get to chapter 8. This is how it starts off. When Samuel became old. So you see there's suddenly uh, a few years have gone by. So when Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. First one was Joel, the second one was Abijah, and they were judges in Beersheba. You might imagine they were good judges. I think, well, they're Samuel's sons, and Samuel's chosen them. But verse 3 says, Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. So just like Eli, shortly beforehand, you have this godly man with two incredibly wicked sons. They abused power for their own gain. And understandably, the people of Israel aren't particularly happy about this, so they do something about it. Now, the the abuse of power here should be sending alarm bells ringing through the rest of this chapter, but it doesn't really seem to do that like it should. 
Verse 4, Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. There's a lot of logic in what they say. There's a fair bit of good in their request. Firstly, Samuel's getting old. Look, Samuel, what you're doing is unsustainable. There's a lot of travelling, there's a lot of thought, a lot of work that goes into this. You're getting old, we need a a replacement. But also they recognise that Samuel's sons didn't walk in his ways. This is good, they've spotted an abuse of power, they're doing something about it. This is good that they're seeking a change. In verse 6 we see that Samuel's displeased with their request. Well it might be that he's a little bit put out by being called old. It might be that he's slightly uh, displeased with them. Uh, The fact that the two sons uh, they're rejecting and he's like, they're my sons, I chose them. But I think there's probably a bigger reason of why Samuel is, is displeased. Just a quick side note, did you notice what he did when he was displeased? He prayed. You know, when we're displeased about something, when we're upset about something, the best first option is always prayer. So the people want a king to judge them. It's a solid suggestion. It seems to sort of make sense. There are some good reasons for it. But hidden behind this request are at least three errors. Three big errors that I want to talk about tonight. So three serious errors that they make. And the reason we know about these errors is because God himself reveals them to us. We, we, we see into their hearts. We see their motives. And the reason I want to look at these errors tonight is not so that we can look down our noses at them. It's not so that we can sort of feel better about who we are and feel better about the times when we mess up. It's because as we see them making errors, it's a little bit like looking in a mirror. And what we're going to do tonight is we're going to see ourselves in these people. As they make these errors, we'll see us. It will show us what we're like. It will give us a view of what our hearts are sadly so often like. And my prayer for us at the end of this service, as we leave this service, is that we too will be saying we want a king. But that the king that we will want will be so much better than the king that they wanted. So, what errors have they made? Well, here's error number one that I see. They wanted a king that they could see. They wanted a king that they could see. It may seem a very odd error. Yesterday, London was packed, wasn't it, with people trying to get a glimpse of the king. Of course, nowadays, with you know, TV and social media, we see the king's face plastered everywhere. We know what he looks like. Why was it such an error for the people of Israel to want to see their king? Of course, the question might pop into your head, well, what sort of other kings are there? Well, we find out when God speaks to Samuel after Samuel's prayed. This is what he says, verse 7. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all they say to you. So do what they're asking you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. You see, God... The invisible was their king. And he had been since the beginning. But they're not content with that. 
They want a God that they can see with their eyes. Verse 20 helps us understand a little bit more what's going on here. They want a king to judge for them and to go out before us and fight our battles. The enemy nations are starting to look stronger again. And what they're looking for is a king who is powerful, who is mighty, that they can have some confidence in. They can feel safe. They're scared. So they want a king. But you know what's really sad about that? Let me read you just a little bit of uh, chapter 7, just before, obviously, chapter 8. Now, when the Philistines heard that the people of Israel had gathered at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the people of Israel heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the people of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. So Samuel took a sucking lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. As Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel. But the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion, and they were routed before Israel. And the men of Israel went out from Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them as far as below Bethkar. You know, if you want a king to protect you, it doesn't get much better than God. You want someone to fight for you? Well, God can do that. And then all you have to do is go and polish off the stragglers. It was such a momentous victory that they set up a stone. I think this stone's a favourite with some of you. Ebenezer. Ebenezer, up until now, the Lord has helped us. That's what it means. They, they put this monument there. Up until now, the Lord has helped us. In other words, we're going to put this stone here so that in the future we can look back and remember what God did for us. And in the future we can say, well, if God helped us up until that point, then we can be pretty confident that God will help us in the future too. And yet we go into chapter 8 just a few years later. And they want a human king to replace God because it's so much easier to trust a God as a king that you can see. See, the Israelites were living by sight and not by faith. And before we think any less of them for their lack of faith or their forgetfulness, we need to remember that what we're doing this evening is kind of holding up a mirror to our own hearts, realising that we're really not much different to them. We're called to live by faith and not by sight. But how many times do we, if we're honest, find ourselves living by sight rather than faith? How many times do we rely on our sight because it's so much easier to trust in things that we can see and touch and feel rather than trust in a God that we can't see? They wanted a king to provide them with security and peace. We don't rely on our king to do that so much nowadays. But what is it that gives you your security in life? What what do you trust in life when life gets a little bit shaky? Maybe you've got some money stashed away for a rainy day or two. You think, well, that'll get us through most things. Maybe you've got a steady partner. It's a bit of a rock to you. But have we found other things in life which provide us with that security but which also have replaced God. 
This is what Dale Ralph Davis says about the Israelites requesting a king. He says it's old idolatry with a new twist. Old idolatry with a new twist. Worshipping something else and getting rid of God. They've rejected God and they've replaced him. But God says to Samuel, he says, look, you're displeased, but don't take it personally. They're not really rejecting you, they're rejecting me. And and you know, they've been doing that ever since I rescued them from Egypt. Ever since I rescued them from slavery, I've been doing so many things for them. Miracle after miracle, sign after sign. And yet they just continually forsake me. They continually worship other things. You know, it's a sad statement about our human hearts, that God has done so much for us. And yet so quickly we forget and we serve other things, things that we can see. We reject him. And ultimately, as as humans, we rejected him to the point even of the cross. We chose Barabbas over Jesus. And yet God himself is the king on the cross enacted the greatest rescue story the world has ever seen. Why? So that we can see him face to face. Here's just a question. Just give you a few moments to think about this. Can you think of ways that you are living by sight instead of faith? Can you think of ways in your life right now that you are living by sight rather than by faith? If you're not sure about any of this, it might be helpful to chat through with someone after, maybe a trusted friend that you can talk through some of these things that you can be really honest with. We see another serious error, the second serious error, in four words in verse 5. Verse 5 says that, well, this is what they request. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. Verses 19 and 20, sort of get it repeated. There shall be a king over us that we may be like all the nations. Second error is that they wanted a king so that they could be like the other nations. They wanted a king so that they could be like the other nations. See, the reason they knew all about kings is that they'd been watching the other nations around them. They'd been spending time watching them. And the more they saw them, the more they got to know them, the more they wanted to be like them. They want what everyone else has got. But God never wanted his people to be like the other nations. Do you remember what he said to them back in Exodus 19? Some of you will. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. God's people were to be special. God said to them in Leviticus, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Now holy means to be pure, but it also means to be different. It means to be distinct. God's people were meant to be special. They were meant to be shining examples to the rest of the world of what God was like. They were meant to stand out from the crowd. They were were meant to be a nation that other nations looked at and said, wow, they've got some God. But instead of the other nations wanting to be like them, they're there wanting to be like the other nations. 
And again, just before we look down on them too much, we need to see in our own lives just how much we're like that. All of us who are Christians are called God's people. We're too called his special nation. We're, we're to be distinct from the world around us. Peter picks up on Exodus 19 and applies it to us. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. We're to be a royal priesthood. We're to be a holy nation. That's our role. We're to proclaim into the darkness the light of who God is. We're to be different. Romans 12 verse 2, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. There are so many ways in which we can be just like the world around us. Some of them are very obvious, some of them are very subtle. When I was uh, on YP holiday, I think it was back in about 2004, a fairly long time ago for some of you, um, James and Rachel bought us a book, it seven chapters, and the idea was that each day we'd read a, a chapter, and at breakfast we would have a discussion group, it was obviously an optional thing, and it was called Distinctives by Vaughan Roberts. Now to be honest, I can't remember much of what the book said, it was a long time ago, but these are the headings, and I think they're, they're quite helpful for helping us think about how we can be distinctive in maybe different ways that we might not think of ourselves. So, chapter one, perspective in a world that lives for the moment. Chapter number two, service or serving in a world that looks after number one. Number three, contentment in a world that never has enough. Four, purity in a world obsessed with sex. Number five, certainty in a world where everything is relative. Six, holiness in a world where anything goes. And seven, wholeheartedness in a world that can't be bothered. See, we're called to be distinct. We're called to be different to the world around us. We're called to be examples of what it looks like to be content in God. We're called to be practical examples of the fruits of the Spirit to show other people. Two quick questions to think about again. Question one, just give you a few moments. If someone was to ask you during the week how distinctive you are in the world, sorry, if someone was to ask those who see you during the week how distinctive you are in the world, what might they say? What might others say about how distinctive you are? Question two, do you think more about having what others have or more about others discovering what you have in Christ? 
Do you think more about having what others have? Or do you think more about others discovering what you have in Christ? It's also good for us to think through some of this as a church, isn't it? I think. You know, when, when we think about outreach, when we think about worship, all these things, we want to be relevant, we want to be engaging, but we need to be different. We need to be different. Maybe one thing we can pray for is that the people around us, the people we interact with, will look at us and go, we want a king like they've got. Be a good thing to pray, wouldn't it? But there's a little bit more to this. God had anticipated, back in Deuteronomy, he had anticipated that one day his people would ask for a king. And so what he does is he writes some rules for what this this king must be like. Because God is very aware of the corrupting power of power. So these are some of the rules uh, that God gives for what a king must be like. We see them in Deuteronomy 17, 14 to 20. So basically says, this king must not acquire lots of horses, must not acquire many wives, mustn't acquire lots of gold or silver. And also he has to write a copy of the law. And he has to read it every day. And the reason he has to do that is so that he continues to love God and not think of himself as any better than those around him. So you can see how God is writing rules for for kings, what kings should be like. But the, the Israelites want a king like the nations. The Israelites don't really want a king like God wants. And so God says, beware. Beware of what you want. This is the third error, really. They wanted a king despite the warnings. They wanted a king despite the warnings. You know, God does not skimp on the warnings in this chapter. The the Israelites are never going to be able to get to the end of this episode and say, well, God, if only you had said something. Verse 9, God says to Samuel, basically, okay, do what they've said, only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. So God says, okay, do it, but warn them what this king's going to be like that they're wanting, or what kings are going to be like. And in basically, verses 10 to 18 is like one long warning where God describes in detail what this king is going to do. Let me sort of sum up what this king is going to do. Samuel says to the people, he says, he's going to take your sons for his soldiers. He's going to take your daughters for his servants. He's going to take your best fields and your orchards and your vineyards and he's going to give them to his courtiers. And he's going to take your servants and your young men and your donkeys. Oh, and on top of that, he's going to tax you of all your grain so that he can give it to his officers. And he's going to tax you a tenth of your flocks as well. The last bit of verses 17 and 18 could not be more serious. And you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. 
You see, they want a king to solve their problems. They want a king for security. They want a king for peace. They think, think of what a king can give us. But this king will take, and he'll take, and he'll take, and he'll take, and then he'll take some more, and then he'll take some more, to the point where they'll become slaves. So how do the people react? They go, forget that then, we're not having a king. Not if he's going to be like that. No, they don't. The people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. They said, no, but there shall be a king over us. That we may be like all the nations. And that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Now there's a strong warning here. That being warned doesn't stop people. And I know there's a bit of irony there. That I'm warning you about the fact that warnings often don't stop us. This goes right back to the Garden of Eden, doesn't it? Right near the start, God says, look, if you do this, there are clear consequences, don't do it. And they say, well, let's do it. And they reap the consequences. You know, we, we reject God even though we've been warned of severe consequences. Because so easily, don't we, we believe the devil's lie. That, that God's exaggerating somehow. That God can't really mean that. That God's too kind to really judge us properly. That, that God's deceiving us. It's the great lie of the devil, isn't it? That God's the one that's the deceiver. We believe somehow that we'll be freer without God. If we can throw off the shackles of God, throw off his laws, and do what we want. Sounds great. But we end up trapped in sin. And I think... This king that's being pictured here is a brilliant picture, or a sad picture in many ways, of what sin does. It seems to offer us so much. It seems to give us freedom from God and his laws. We can do whatever we want. It seems to solve our problems. But we're warned that it ensnares us, it enslaves us, it traps us. It leads to death. And yet so often we're like the Israelites. We're warned about it and yet we choose it. And so they say, we want a king. We've heard what you've said, but we want a king. And God says to Samuel, okay, give them a king. And God gives them the king they've dreamed of. King Saul. He's tall. He's quite literally described as being head and shoulders above the rest. He's handsome. He's strong. He's the sort of guy that wouldn't look out of place in a superhero film. And the request is answered. I take him as their, their king. Everything starts off well. But it's not long before fighting erupts. Civil war breaks out. And over the years... Over the many years that, that followed, everything that God warned them about came true. This is something I've been thinking about a little bit this week. You know, sometimes God may give us exactly what we want. But it's not as a blessing. It's as a judgment. Because what we want, we want more than we want God. And so God says, okay, you can have that instead of me, but be aware that if you choose that, you will not have me. 
Perhaps one of the most common examples of this, and maybe one that's relevant to some of us, maybe especially those of you that are younger, is relationships. So we know relationships are good, don't we? They're in the Bible. You see marriage all through the Bible. Relationships are good. You think, right, that's a good start. And Over the horizon comes this incredibly beautiful or handsome man or woman. You think, well, it's all I've ever dreamed of. And then you get to know them. You think, God has answered my prayers. But what's really going on there? What's really going on in your heart is that actually you've displaced God. And they have become the king in your life instead of God. And God may allow it to happen, not to be a wonderful blessing to you, but actually to show just how far short these other kings come compared to God. To show how they cannot satisfy us. They cannot give us what God can give. You know, so many people have shipwrecked their relationship with God and sometimes shipwrecked their lives as well because they've chased other kings in their lives. You know, sin, it takes and it takes and it takes. And another thing I've been thinking about this week that's really struck me is just what a contrast to Jesus who gives and he gives and he gives talks about, doesn't it, he, he emptied himself of everything so that he could come down to earth, to us. Instead of slavery, he offers freedom. Do you remember he comes and he says, the truth will set you free. He offers us life and he offers us life to the full. And we were reminded powerfully, weren't we, at that service yesterday, that Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. That's the kind of king we should want. You know, God has always wanted to give us a king. God always wanted to give us a king. But the king he wanted to give us, really wanted to give us, was himself. His own son. We've seen the errors tonight that the Israelites made as they demanded a king. I expect you've seen your own heart reflected in some of those errors But my prayer tonight, as I said earlier, is that we will cry out, we want a king. But that the king that we will cry out for is God himself, Jesus, King Jesus. Let's pray. Lord God, we've seen tonight just how far short we fall. Lord, we've seen our hearts. We've seen how so quickly we replace you with things. So quickly we forget you. So quickly we trust in other things. Lord, forgive us, I pray. Lord, I pray that we would see the the worthlessness. That we would see the end result of following these other kings, these other idols. And Lord, that we would trust King Jesus that we would follow King Jesus, that we would delight in King Jesus, that we would live by faith and not by sight. Lord, forgive us.
for when we move on so quickly from the, the amazing things you've done in our life. Lord, I pray that we would have that Ebenezer. God has helped us until now and that we would remember that in the future. So King Jesus, I pray that you would help us. Thank you that you are a king who doesn't take. But yet, Lord, you use your power to give us everything. And I pray that we'd be in awe and wonder of that. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing a song now that at the end of today just helps us worship Jesus. Name of all majesty, fathomless mystery, king of the ages, by angels adored. Let's stand and sing. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we have been able to lift your name up high today. And Lord, I pray that as we go away from this place, Lord, that we would continue to do that and to continue to do that throughout the week. Lord, do bless us, I pray. Keep us safe. Bring us safely back together again next week, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.